0: Hello, April Lopeno, Vice President of Human Resources, also a Keeley Life leader, here to welcome you to this section of Keeley Life Podcast. These podcasts are designed to have conversations surrounding our mission of sustaining a culture of health and well-being for all Keeleans and their families, as well as supporting our Pillars of HEAL, where we focus on mental health, physical fitness, nutritional habits, and financial well-being. This is where we take a deep dive in discussing the total well-being of each and every one of our Keelyans and how we make a path to a better version of themselves. We want to take this opportunity to provide resources to all. So please sit back and enjoy. Welcome everyone to this Keely Life podcast. Today we're going to be focused on mental health. Today, I have a wonderful guest with me, Mary Weatherford. Welcome, Mary. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Mary is a licensed clinical psychologist with SSM Health, Cardinal Glennon's Children's Hospital. She provides outpatient and inpatient services with a special focus on hematology, oncology, pulmonology, sleep medicine, pain management, and chronic health conditions. She has special interests in anxiety disorders, behavior disorders, and depressive disorders. Dr. Weatherford is a member of the American Psychological Association, the Missouri Psychological Association, and the St. Louis Psychological Association. She is a past president and board member of the Missouri Psychological Association. How have you had time to accomplish
1: all of this? <laughs> it's a little tiring sometimes, but it's all great.
0: <laughs> what? great accomplishments. And I feel honored to be able to have you on today and pick your brain on a very important topic, you know, just in in today's society. Uh, So I really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Well, let's go ahead and get jumped in on some questions so we can get your insight. Um, So, you know, this pandemic has been challenging for all of us, yet our children have been especially affected as they try to find some normalcy in this chaos. What are some ways that you've noticed that our kids have been affected by the social isolation?
1: You know, there's uh, probably uh, different subgroups of impact. I would say certainly our concern as clinicians is in the area of social and emotional development. And then secondly, of course, we're concerned about academics. And then I think it's also to keep in mind too that there is a subgroup of kids that actually did pretty well. So, you know, I think our tendency is to think, oh, it's been so negative and so hard, but not for all kids. And I think it's kind of important to keep that in mind as well. You know, I think um, really the extent of impact is dependent on so many factors, be that age, educational status, meaning the kids in high school, for example, tended to do better than kids maybe in middle school. Um socioeconomic issues um, came into play. So a lot of these factors really determined the kind of impact that was there. Um, in the terms of social-emotional development, I think what we, you know, if you think about um, social development over time, obviously, to develop socially, we have to interact with people. And I think therein of course lies the difficulty with the isolation of the pandemic. So if you think of um, social emotional values being sort of like a target, the bullseye or the center being our family, the next ring being school and friends, the next ring being let's say community like clubs and church and the outer ring being society. Of course, what happened was for our kids those outer rings got lopped off. Right. And so what happened was that sort of normative developmental trajectory was interrupted and the fallout of that is is really having some anxious kids in terms of, you know, what now being going to kind of re-socializing again, really being anxious about doing that. Their skills are just kind of rusty. So that is and from a social emotional standpoint, uh, you know, is some of our concerns, I think, in terms of impact. And I think academically, I think our teachers are really challenged right now because basically we have sort of this bimodal distribution in the classrooms. One group of kids having been able to keep up fairly well with virtual learning and so on, and they're on target or ahead. And another group of kids in the same classroom, perhaps, that really have fallen behind. And I think for our teachers, that's an enormous challenge. And for our kids that have fallen behind, it's another area of distress for them. So not only are they perhaps socially anxious, but they're academically anxious too, feeling that they can't compete. Um, So, I mean, I think those are sort of the areas of impact. And again, there is a group of kids though that seem to manage great. And some of the skills that they learned were maybe independence and flexibility, um, the ability to be there for their families to help out during that time, uh, really did empower a few kids too. So I wanna say it's just, it's not all negative for all kids.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm so glad you touched base on like the, There has been this resilience. I think they've actually bounced back um, quicker than than some adults. For for that matter of fact, right? Um, sure. I mean, every every person is having to adjust. Um, if it's whether that they're in school at any level, all the way through college, you know, or or, um, you know, those working in the career field? And how do you, you know, construction, especially, how do you um, navigate during this time? So I think you hit on some great points. And uh, you know what I've been told by those teachers is that you know there may be kids that are behind, but all kids are kind of at that same level, right? They've all kind of been pushed back a little bit, and they're all going to get up um, and not to worry. And I've I've noticed a real big adjustment this this year, especially that um, the the programs there they're kicking in and they really are you know, um, rallying around our children and, and helping get where maybe they may not have had that support. So,
1: right. And I love the word that you use. And I think the the idea of resilience, and that is one of the things I love most about working with kids. I have to say kids brains are so adaptable. And if we just give them, you know, that kind of structure and support and guidance, the vast majority are going to bounce back absolutely fine. So, That is one of the things, uh, that whole concept of resilience, that's very dear to my heart.
0: And and I think also, you know, many people consider our kids to, to be small adults, yet, you know, in talking to you, it seems like children present concerns differently, right, than we do. And so what are some of the signs, symptoms of children experiencing mental health struggles, like anxiety or depression, that really, as parents or teachers, we should be Uh, honing into and and how how do we even begin that uh, path?
1: Sure. You know, I think um, what's important to keep in mind is just the concept that, you know, adults can tell us how they feel. Kids show us how they feel. And I think it's really important to approach our kids with that mindset. Um, You know, For the most part, you know, kids don't have that sort of language ability and that metacognitive kind of capacity to link feeling with cognition to be able to express exactly what's going on. That happens over time. So I think as adults, we just have to be really mindful of of our kids communicating how they feel through their behaviors. And I think the the things to watch out for in terms of symptoms of concern, um, let's say for our very youngest kids, when they are struggling um, for the younger child, meaning let's say toddler, preschool, early elementary school, you may see things like separation issues. Um, These kids become more clingy, maybe more attention seeking or asking you to do things for them that they previously would do for themselves. You might see sleep pattern disruptions or even like um somatic complaints like my tummy hurts and there's just no sort of organic cause for that so that's kind of our young kids where we get concerned and again it's not just that they've had a bad day these would be symptoms that really persist over time for our mid to older elementary school age kids this is where again, the kids are able to think a little more hypothetically. And that's scary for them because at that age, kids begin to develop those fears of death, fears that I'll get sick, fears that I might die, fear, you know, cleanliness, you might know, see um, excessive cleanliness, um, appetite disturbances, sleep disturbances, of course. And again, those somatic complaints, or the body complaints, tummy aches, headaches, that kind of thing. And in this age, being the mid to older elementary, that's where you begin to become concerned also about this compulsive computer use, compulsive use of electronics, which then, of course, sp- spills into our preteens and teenage kids. Um, you know, I, I think that whole use of electronics is a whole nother conversation, probably we could fill a good hour with. But with our preteens and teens, some of the um, additional um, kind of um, symptoms of concern is that sort of chronic sense of irritabil- irritability and pervasive negativism. And that's, um, you know, many of our teens are irritable, right? But it's this just pervasive irritability. And this is what depression looks like for our preteens and teens. And I think that's important to keep in mind. Adults, depression is more, I feel sad. I feel guilty. I feel shame. It's, um, it's more centered on themselves. For teenagers, yeah preteens and teens, it's really more projected out onto the world. The world is bad. The world is not fair. It's always been bad. It's bad now. It'll always be bad. So it's this, um, just irritable, irritable kind of demeanor. Um, and then this pervasive negative cognitive pattern. Um, and these are real. And, and again, it's not just a bad day. This goes on for several days, if not a couple weeks, um, excess- hey, Mary. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you explain that in a, a little further, those terms that you just used? So um, when you were talking about that
1: pervasism. Um, sure. You- yeah. You know, that's really, I, the kids, we talk about that as sort of like this black cloud kind of descends. And you see, the kids see everything through this sort of gray, dismal filter. The world feels bad. The friends don't, I don't enjoy being with friends. Things that, you know, maybe they once enjoyed just don't, they don't enjoy anymore. And so it's this chronic sense of sort of apathy. I don't care. I'm not interested. Everything's bad. It's just like literally talk about that black cloud descending, and that's the filter that the kids see the world through. That's depression for a teenager. And and that's what's very concerning. Um, And, you know, I I think that's when we talk about that pervasive negative attitude, that's really what that is.
0: And And go ahead all right, when we're seeing these behaviors as parents, I mean, where should we start to drive the conversations, you know, like with who? Um, because, you know, I think that sometimes can be, you know, we're, we feel that we're supposed to have the answers, right? Speaking from a mom myself. And then um, if I don't know the right, you know, channels or resources that are available, it can just seem overwhelming. And sometimes things continue on instead of stepping in and getting intervention. So where would, where would we
1: start? So I think the first thing is to try to open a conversation with your with your child, right? And and again, that's kind of hard because most of the time, as you well know, if you have teenagers, you say, "How are you doing?" The answer is "Fine," right? <laughs> and that's all you get. But the idea is to first open the door, saying, "You know, I've noticed that you just seem really down, and it's more than just one day, and I'm worried. I wonder if you can tell me about." what you're feeling, or if something's happening, I I do a lot of these, I wonder statements. And I encourage parents to do that. Because oftentimes, if you directly question a teenager, as you well know, you get a shutdown, right? I'm fine, leave me alone. But you just open the door with I wonder, and you see if the kids eventually will walk through, you know, I was saying, I don't feel good. And I don't know why. Well, that's a start let's try to figure this out together so i think the first is communication with your opening that door the i wonder statements the next step is to really check out other areas in their life what's happening you know obviously being in good contact with um coaches with teachers and so on in terms of their observations and if this um kind of demeanor this negative is present across the board that is really concerning. I would reach out pretty quickly then to a behavioral health specialist. Certainly even um pediatricians are great at um, sending re- referrals and uh, resources to families t- in terms of how to connect with behavioral health people.
0: So Mary, as, as we wait, those are some great right um, advice, open up that communication. If we really see something, you know, Worrisome, and you know, we're seeking out a professional. What do we do? Be, um, you know, obviously, that's one of the negative things that have, have um, happened within our medical system is the ability to get care quickly. Right. So, you know, with um, I know there's organizations that have started to do teledoc medicine for mental health, which Keeley is one of them, so that's amazing. Um, that's but wonderful. I mean, I, what are some things that we can? Um, do to ensure that we're not just staying stagnant and not getting the help that we feel is needed.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a very good point. You know, unfortunately, our um, behavioral health system is, as you mentioned, overloaded right now, and it is difficult to be able to step in um, and get the help that's needed quickly. Um, I do think that as telemedicine is expanding, um, and again, I was so, so appreciate you all jumping on board with that. That is something that we do Quite a bit here now at Cardinal Glennon, um, that has enabled us as clinicians to really see more patients. I think that you will see that um, that that telemedicine is allowing our field to really service the needs that are there more efficiently now. Over time, one of the things that you know we we really try it while you're waiting, basically, to get in to see somebody. We really talk about trying to maximize a kid, children's positive experiences from the world. That can go so far in um, helping a child get really begin to feel better. Um, and sometimes it's not even just actual experience, a positive experience. It's teaching our kids to pay attention. Not so much to what's negative and bad, but to pay attention to what's good and positive. And and again, this is the concept of resilience, right? Um, And that's what's so cool to watch kids learn this that it's, you know, negative things seem to have such impact for all of us, right? We tend to dwell on the negative things. And sometimes, you know, our positive things just go right over our head. What we as parents and even as clinicians do, you know, is important to do is to really train our kids to pay equal, if not more attention to what's positive and right and good. And you would be amazed at how kids be, can begin to turn around even before they've seen a professional, right? Um, really emphasizing that I think can be, is just so, so helpful and that's helpful for life, right? <laughs> so.
0: Oh, absolutely, definitely. So you know, one of the things that we love to give our listeners of our po- podcast are real, tangible things they can do to improve their su- situations moving forward. What are some, you know, just based on all of our conversation, what are some actionable items that we can implement or do to help our children, you know, right now? So even even outside of a of a, um, a problem that we see maybe um I'm developing, what are what are some tools to have in our pockets, right, for sure. ongoing?
1: Sure, you know, and I did say I'll I'll start broad and get specific. I think the first thing the broad comes is awareness. That is the first thing just being aware, you know, I think, you know, caregivers parents, you know, they know their child best right so be aware of their behaviors. Recognize again that behaviors are a child's way of communicating, right? And try. So that's sort of the broad concept. More specifically, I think um, the issue is anxiety. You know, I think I had mentioned that one of the things that we tend to see as clinicians a great deal right now is that kids' social skills are rusty, right? So they they need um, some opportunities for this gradual, safe sort of. Uh, social exposure again, starting in small doses and going back to school, then with a lot of communication, if they're comfortable with that school, and then maybe a party, then school party club, just small doses with lots of conversation in between. One of the things we want to be careful of is to, is that whole concept of avoidance, right? Um, Be really watchful uh, for your, for avoidance, right? This is a child not participating simply because they're anxious. We need to teach kids to recognize what anxiety is and how to manage that anxiety. And we've got all sorts of tools in our tool chest for that. Um, so, you know, whether it's mindfulness strategies, deep breathing, muscle scans, imagery, cognitive coaching, there's tons and tons of these strategies. Then And then develop a coping plan, right? Identify when you're anxious, then what skills work best for you. Have kids look to the caregiver as the decision maker. You know, I think as much as kids sometimes push back and want control, ultimately what fosters so much security and comfort for kids, even as teenagers, I would have to say, is when they know that there is a strong authoritative figure in the family calling the shots, right? The the you know, looking to the caregiver as the decision maker. This is what we know to be safe. So this is what we're gonna do as a family, right? Um For older children, normalizing anxious thoughts, but reassuring again with confidence that you're the decision maker. Teach kids the importance of facing those fears, and that's how anxiety decreases. Um, And again, I think I want to go back to, I keep going back to resilience, but really teaching kids um, to remain positive in their perspectives, right? It's not to ignore the negative things, but get a sense of when something negative happens, we can work with that. Even if it's just acknowledging that it feels uncomfortable, then we work with our feelings, right? But also to pay attention to what's good and right. Um, and, and again, you know, I think that gets into that whole concept of um, struggle. I think is sometimes as caregivers and as parents, oh, it's so hard to watch your child struggle. But it's exactly that struggle that helps the child and getting when they get through that they feel confident and feel pride right so struggle is so important, but supporting the child along the way um, that is, that is incredibly important in building that confidence and pride and ultimately those are the seeds of resiliency.
0: You you have so much great information, Mary. <laughs> I would love to keep picking your brain because you make it sound so easy. So I know that you've um, probably engaged a lot of parents and, and helped them on their journey with raising their children through this. So I really do appreciate your insight. It's been great. And I, sure. and I hope we can continue the conversation and have a, um, another podcast, you know, focused on developing further. So thanks again. I know your time is valuable. Um, so just I can't, again, I can't say thank you again.
1: Absolutely. You all have a great day. Thank you so much.
0: You too. Until next time, Kelians, thanks for joining this podcast um, and we will talk to you soon. Stay healthy.